Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Hello, everyone. We're really happy to have on the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast today, Master Jan Lappin. She is the founder of Middleburg Martial Arts in Middleburg, Florida. She's a master of Tong Soo Do and has a long history in the martial arts. And we actually had talked a few years ago. We'll leave a link to that in the description for a little background. But she's back and has a lot um, of new stuff going on. So Master Lappin, thank you so much for coming back today. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks. Good. And I know you are really taking time out because you had written a little earlier and said, we're putting away the horses. Can <laughs> yep. you explain what what's going on um, with you these days? Okay, so I've kind of semi-retired. As I'm sure you know, um, the Macy's have taken over the studio, Middleburg Martial Arts. And I'm um, I'm still consulting with them and I'm still very active and involved in the school um, and plan to always be. But I'm semi-retired, so I'm doing a lot of fun things. So today I went horseback riding and I go just about every day and we ride out in the woods and it's just beautiful. And it's probably, I don't know, 65, 70 degrees out there. It's just gorgeous here. So it was a really nice day. And then I just got back from uh, skiing. I skied up in Sugar Mountain and Beach Mountain and had a week there. And I'm just doing a lot of retirement stuff. And in a couple of days, I'm going to Cedar Key for a week. So just enjoying life and and having fun. Wow, that's fantastic. That sounds very active. Do you have a history with horses? Yes. Right? Horse I've had horses pretty much all my life. Really? And I have two horses right now. And my sister's down from Michigan. So her and I uh, went riding today. And then I have another friend that wanted to ride. So it's pretty cool. So we all just went out in the woods. And I have two horses. And, uh, and I ride two, three times a week. It's hard. I haven't ridden horses very much. But it makes you sore. <laughs> it takes a lot of yeah. It does if you're not used to it. You had your start in martial arts in college. Is that right? You studied judo? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then you moved on to study Tong Soo Do first in California. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. In the 80s. Yep. We started uh, Tong Soo Do. My husband started and then my kids started. Yeah. So I started um, uh, Tong Soo Do in, I think it was like 85, 86. The rough and tumble 80s. They, I know there are other terms for it, but it was... Uh, Martial arts was a little bit of a different world back then, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes, it was. Uh, we didn't, you know, you didn't wear a lot of uh, gear and it was just a different, it was, it was a little different. It was, there were very few women in there and it was, you had to be pretty tough to be pretty tough back then. I mean, you have to be tough now to make it through to get to black belt, but it was, you know, it's a little different. What do you think accounts for more women and young people, uh, different kind of demographics being involved in the martial arts today versus 40 years ago? It's a good question. I think a lot of it is, well, first of all, with us and probably with you as well, with the Taekwondo, there was a lot of Korean influence. And our Korean master, you know, it was mostly guys that he trained. And for years, that's the way it was. And for years, women just didn't get promoted very high in the martial arts. Now that's starting to change. It's really starting to change. We had our first woman, uh, sixth degree. And it's in our style, it takes many, many years to get to sixth degree. And we had our first woman get sixth degree 
um, in July at a, a place in Chicago. And it was a really, really big deal. And she'd been training. I was a white belt when she was a black belt. And that was back in the 80s. So she's been training many, many years. And so, but I think things are changing now. The, you know, kind of the glass ceiling is kind of broken. Women are getting in. So I go to like a master's clinic now and it's at least I'd say a third of women. Whereas years ago, we'd go to a master's clinic. And, you know, our master's clinic is the master's from all over the world in the World Tong Sudo Association. Years ago, you'd go and there'd be, you know, like maybe seven, eight women there. There was never a, a line in the restroom. <laughs> now there's a line in the restroom. So it's a really good thing. And I think as more women are starting to own studios and, and there's just more women coming in, more kids coming in. And obviously, for most people now, it's mostly kids. Most schools are mostly kids. And years ago, it was not like that. It was more adults than kids, at least where I trained. In today's martial arts school culture, the parents tend to join after their kids have been involved. Is that true? Yeah, that's what we're finding, too. We're finding that, well, we always ask the parents to uh, sit in on the first, you know, like when, when we do the initial uh, evaluation, we call it, we ask the parents to sit in on that. And or to not sit in, to be active in it and to go. And that helps a lot because then they realize it's not so hard, but still most of the parents don't join. And after they get to know us and they feel more comfortable with us, then we usually get them out on the floor. So it's kind of funny. And, and a lot of them end up joining afterwards. So, yeah. Usually that isn't the case in a lot of other activities that parents could enroll their kids in. For example, football or gymnastics uh, parents go and are enthusiastic about watching and being a support for their kids but it's not that i speak from experience it's not like i'm gonna jump out and do the uneven bars or something like that alongside my daughter there isn't that kind of opportunity what, what makes martial arts what gives the opportunity for parents to go you know what i'm i am going to get off the bench put on a uniform and go out on the mat with my kids. What makes that possible, do you think? I think it's the acceptance of any skill, anybody, the acceptance of the instructor knowing that the martial arts will help this student, whether it's an adult, a child, a grandma, whoever it is, a grandpa. And there's there's usually a place for everyone and they can go at their own pace and they can do whatever works for them. And it's self-improvement. It's getting in shape. It's, it's uh, you know, all the life skills we teach and who can't use that, you know? And I think most instructors and most studios now are very adept and qualified to teach people of all different ages, all different abilities, um, uh, disabilities, we call them superpowers. But I think it's more accepting now. And what a wonderful thing for a family to do together anyways, to bond together in martial arts is amazing. Some of the best uh, times or the most precious times to me were the times training with my kids and testing with your kids. You test with your child for black belt and it's, it's empowering. It's so empowering. And now I'm at a point where it's very cool that I've got two of my daughters going to master's camp with me, which, you know, is at least a 25 year procedure just to get there. So it's pretty cool that that they're they're both going um, and 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 even to test or even to be there uh, is a pretty neat experience. So I guess a lot of family bonding can be done in martial arts. And it's really cool when the kids are ahead of you 
and they teach you stuff and they show you stuff and it makes them feel really good. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a good experience for the family and what a clean, healthy thing to do for a family to do together. I mean, think of it, like you said, there's not very many sports that they can do and martial arts that a family can do it together. They can go to tournaments together. They can test together. There's, there, there's so much they can do together because it's not necessarily age specific. And there's a really rewarding sense of being exhausted together, kind of, mm-hmm. because it even a class can be, it, it'll test you. And then the tests, the tournaments, events like that will really test you all together. I remember driving home from black belt tests with my kids and just sharing that sense of exhaustion in a in a almost euphoric kind of way it was a wonderful feeling in its way but we Mm -hmm. could relate to each other in ways that were different for me growing up running cross country or something where my parents or supporters would see me at the end of the race and i'd be dead but uh they were like well what's next (laughs) it it is a real connection i so your kids have really grown up in the martial arts world, really immersed in it. And now your grandkids are growing up in it too. Your daughter, Rachel Macy, is a head instructor of Ripple Effect Martial Arts in Fleming Island. And as I understand it, Middleburg will make a transition into a Ripple Effect Martial Arts school. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yep, they're changing the name. It's going to also, it's going to be One Ripple, which is nice for, for marketing and name brand and, you know, all that stuff. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a very cohesive, I think. It's going to be a nice change. How do you feel about instructors that you've trained and, and watched mature um, coming into the One Ripple environment? How, how do you see that transforming? In some ways, for some of them, it can be tough because our name is different now, but everything else is really the same. I mean, we've got the same instructors. We've got the same people that care about them. We've got, uh, I think, I think it's going to enhance their training. Um, although, you know, change is always difficult for everybody. But if if you can, if they understand why we're making the change and if they can see the other side of it, then they're, they tend to be very supportive. And right now I feel like they're, the people are very supportive. The senior students are supportive of it, which is a, a really big deal. You know, so instead of feeling like they're losing a school, I think they're seeing they're gaining a whole new family and, and more support and more, um, they're just part of a, even something bigger. So I think that's pretty cool. You talk about the senior students. Can you tell people who are listening that might not know how many years has a student been training before they're testing for black belt with us it's usually about five years before they test for black belt and tong sudo and then after that it's uh, two years for second usually a minimum of three years for third and then fourth it jumps five six seven years just depends just depends on what you've done for the association, how active you are, and the time frame that they choose to, to put you on. So in a lot of ways, we're very old school in Tung Sudo with the testing. You don't know when, like for, for the higher rank, for the fourth uh, degree and the master's and the higher degree, you don't know when you're testing until they tap you on the 
shoulder at lunchtime and they want you to test that evening. So that's kind of the way it works. So you're always, you need to always be ready. That is <laughs> that that old school. Uh, old school. <laughs> it it does it makes uh gives you goosebumps kind of and in a good way i think you've talked about um the the military culture in in middleburg and uh northeastern florida and i know a lot of your students have associations with the military and it kind of reminds me of that kind of training where you might be given orders that you didn't expect and you have to be prepared at all times. It, are there parallels there? Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels there um, to the military in, in that we are very traditional martial arts. And so because we're very traditional, I think there's some things that we do differently. And like one of them is, you know, if you're ready to test and they feel like you're ready, you test and it's not necessarily this many years or whatever. It's uh, some of it is subjective. But that that really is old school. Judo was the same way. You didn't know when you were going to test until you till they said you're testing tonight. OK, you better be ready. And as far as the discipline and all that is is can be very militaristic, I think. It's also fun. You talked about the um, the sense of enjoyment in the martial arts and how important that is that the, the kind of cycle of practice training and then testing, whether it's at a tournament or a, a test, and then validation, and, and there's an enjoyment there. Do you, how important is that for students to continue training for three, four, five, ten years? I think it's, I think it's like very, very empowering um, because black belt's just the beginning. Black belt is really just the beginning. You learn the basics. And then when you come and you train after black belt, it's more about understanding why you're doing things and how you're doing things and changing it up. And it's not so rote, like we do this for number one and this for number two and this for number three, but it's more about if real life situation happened, where would I go? What would I do? It's like flowing with it. Um, so I think I think the, the longer you train, the more confident you get, the more you really understand the arts. And, and it's not just one art, but all of our arts are several mixed together, really. You have a a good mix, I think, of of the different arts, even in in whether you call it Taekwondo or Tongsudo or whatever. And I think it's important to understand, you know, the breathing part of it, the confidence part of it, the self-defense part of it. And I think the longer you train, the more that comes together. And you see, I've seen the students, the longer they're there, the more empowered they are, the more confident they are, the more, I mean, usually they're more successful um, in their life. Uh, the longer they train, I've really noticed that. Have you found that, that sense of uh, connection between success in life, family life, business, professional success and training in the martial arts? Can you recall students where you've, you've really seen that connection form? Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. We have, we have a whole bunch of black belt pictures on our wall. And when people come in and they, they, they're looking at our studio or, or, you know, considering us, I start telling them about the, you know, this one who got into Annapolis Naval Academy and this one who was valedictorian of their class. And this one, I've got a boy right now and he's in, um, I don't know if last time we talked, we we discussed this, but I'm really proud of this one boy, Cody. He's a man, he's not, a, he's a boy to me, but because he came in, you know, as like, I think a 12 year old, but he's in dental school now and um, he's in his second year. And I don't think without the martial arts, 
he would have been there. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have been there. And he'll say that to you. And a lot of our students will, you know, we come back and we interview them. And it's really cool because the stuff they said is all about how the martial arts helped them and how the martial arts changed their life. And and we have one, uh, well, he's not a boy. Again, he's a boy to me, but he's, he's probably 30. He's probably 31 now. But he's um, manages a bunch of uh, people at Fidelity, I guess, uh, some financial services. And he said that when he first started going there and learning and learning some management skills, he said he had already learned all the stuff. It was, you know, it's all the leadership skills that we teach. It's all the, um, you know, what to say when you talk to yourself, the psychology of winning, all the stuff that we teach our students and seven habits of highly effective people and just all the different, those things are also being taught in leadership uh, classes everywhere. And they really make a difference in someone's life if they, if they, you know, really incorporate those things into their life and they, and they take it seriously and, and learn from it, which, which our black belts do, or they don't become black belts. It would give me a lot of confidence to know that I had a black belt dentist or a black belt mm-hmm. banker just for the integrity and discipline mm-hmm. alone. That would give me a lot of confidence in who I was dealing with. And I know you've had, I mean, you've had is it fair to say multiple hundreds of students over the decades earn a black belt and you anticipate that continuing and even expanding with this transition? Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yes. I think that there's going to even be be more support for them now. I mean, now we have, well, we've had two schools in, in this area for a while, but you know, now they've got the influence from the Colorado schools and things that they do. And it's nice to share. And it's nice to see other successful people studying the martial arts. And you realize you're kind of not on an island by yourself. I remember years ago, I have this uh, one woman who's amazing, um, Master Bono, and she's probably the student that's been training with me the longest that has been very successful. So she's a master. Uh, her daughter is a third degree black belt and her son is a second degree black belt. I believe he got a second. Um, but anyway, she's been training for a very, very long time. And I just, you, you look at, you look at what it does for people and you look at the the family kind of that we've created together. And it's just amazing. So I see that, that continuing to grow and, and as we get more black belts and more master belts, they kind of help teach the others and they set the example. And like three of my very senior senior people, the one I was just telling you, Master Bono, she has a master's degree in education, although the only place she teaches is at my studio. Uh, I have two other people that are just got their third degree. They have master's in history. One was a teacher. So, so as you get these people that are moving up through the ranks that have these degrees and advanced degrees, I think it it kind of brings up the level for everybody as far as, you know, the, the, the standards. And so one of the things we really pride ourselves on is teaching like, you know, obviously good self-defense skills, that's a given, has to be there. But then it's teaching the life skills and teaching the goal setting. And, and we have the people that have lived it, breathed it, done it, that have their successful themselves. And I think the more role models you have there that are successful, the easier it is for students to see what their future is going to look like. So we do get a lot of um, students with uh, special needs. We call them superpowers. We get a lot of them, but we have had such good success with bringing these students on that had 
ADD and ODD and ADHD and you name it, you know, on the spectrum. And yet they have become very successful in life because a lot of it is the discipline and the persistence and the perseverance that they've learned through doing the martial arts, because it's not easy. As you know, it is not easy. And the ones that make it tend to be successful in other areas of their life too, because they've learned not to give up. And I think because to get back to your question, because we have so many senior students that are very successful and they're very good role models and they truly care about the students. I see that as us just growing more and, 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 you know, impacting more lives. That is wonderful. And anybody who's been part of the schools has seen that happen, can really testify to that being the truth. When it comes to leadership, your leadership as a senior member of the instructional staff and um, the, the leader of the school, how do you help junior instructors and even head instructors, how do you help them deal with the challenges that they're going to find with students as they train them to black belt? Things like uh, discipline or uh, lack of attention or focus, uh, things like that. Your instructors must run into challenges there. How do you help them teach better by addressing those challenges? That's a really good question. And we do a lot of training. And I think the training really helps. You know, we do like praise, correct praise. So if you're going to correct someone, praise them first, correct them. We we just do a, a really lot of training on positive reinforcement, but also setting the standards high. Positive reinforcement, setting this. So it's it's very difficult. It's a very fine line. And I think most of our instructors now, our senior instructors have been around long enough that they've been through this training and a lot of them have life knowledge. I mean, they have, you know, you go and you get your degree in teaching, you have a master's in education, you've learned about teaching, you've learned about how to deal with difficult people, you've learned about how to channel superpowers into a positive way instead of a negative. So a lot of it is training, a lot of it is life experience of the people that are doing it. And some of it is just learning as you go. I mean, sometimes we've had had instructors that have just really had a tough time with the class and and then we'll role play it and we'll and we do that. We get on the mat and we role play like, you know, the people, not, the kids not listening or you get a class and you've got, you know, you got 15 people in class and half of them are spinning and talking. And how do you bring that? How do you get the control again? So we do a lot of training like that. We do a lot of focus anchors, you know, like clapping and looking at me and chitty stand at attention and. We do a lot of that. And then, of course, we do a lot of positive reinforcement. You find someone doing what you want them to do and you highlight them. Everybody look at the way Johnny's sitting. He's sitting like a black belt. So we do a lot of that. And again, it's a lot of training and a lot of repetition. And we have um, we have a couple uh, books that our instructors have have to read and then take tests on. And that's part of our training process as well. We use the uh, Dave Kovar has a really good book. It's called The Toolbox, The Instructor's Toolbox. We do that book. And then we do the Napa years ago, put out a book on instruction, how to warm up a class, how to praise correct polite praise, how to demonstrate a new technique. And it's just got all the basics in there. So our instructors have to go through those and we do that in training. Um, and then they have to take the tests. So in order to be certified with our association, they have to, with me, they have to take those two tests and be certified in our association. So it really is a process to be a certified instructor um, with, with our studio. 
And, and then a lot of it is just on the job training and picking the right people is the biggest thing. If you pick the people that care and want their students to, to, to become empowered, it's usually not a problem because they're always open to, to new ideas and to improving. It's really interesting that you mentioned Dave Kobar. I, I got to meet him. I was in an all-day self-defense seminar some years ago in Las Vegas, a giant martial arts conference. And uh, he was one of six instructors. And he was working with a small group of us on some self-defense techniques that were that were really hardcore, actually. It, it was really serious, intense training. But you could tell that his attention was all throughout this semi-large ballroom. And he paused, he put his hand up and he clearly indicated for all of his group to pause. And then he came back and he says, I just wanted to hear what the instructor down the way was doing and saying. And he instantly changed the drills that we were working on based on what another instructor was having his group do. And I just thought that is a phenomenal ability to uh, look upon a, a, you know, a class as it were, and different elements of the class are doing different things. And you're focusing on your students and the people you're directly in charge of, but you're also aware of the other things that are happening in the room and what you can draw from them. And I think in a in a, just a karate class, I use the term karate, of course, to represent the various styles of martial arts training, but the instructors have to do that, right? They, they can't just focus on one student. They have to focus on that one student and the rest of the class. Right. It's a phenomenal ability. Yeah, it's really, it's really an art. I mean, and we teach our instructors to, first of all, you've got to look, safety is number one. So you've always got to look at people's faces. Are they sweating? Are they turning gray? You know, you got to look at all that. Are they having trouble? Um, what's, what's their, you know, physiognomy, physiology. But we also look at the parents. We also look at, sometimes you'll see a kid look at the parent and then the parents, you know, giving eye contact or telling them. So it's, it's really about the whole room, managing the whole room and making sure that everything is flowing the way it should be. And it, it is an art. And it takes a lot of training um, to, to, to become a really good instructor. We are so fortunate. We've got excellent instructors there. Really fortunate. But they've been there a while and they they care, you know. It's really interesting to hear you talk about how the, the knowledge, the, there's knowledge that's cultivated, right? In studying martial arts, you learn new things and new skills. There's also the knowledge that's broad. If you have a master's in education, I know you have a degree in psychology. Is that right? Yes, sir. And so that's something that you bring. And there's knowledge that's brought in life skills. And then there's that knowledge that just expands exponentially because other people are privy to it. So parents who are thinking about signing up or parents who are in the program and listening to this now and thinking about what they're getting out of it, it's safety it's awareness. It's also friendships. It, would you say that a lot of friendships are made in the course of earning a black belt? Absolutely. Some of the, I think, lifelong friendships. And I've seen parents that have been with me for many, many, many years, and they've just become best friends, you know, through through the martial arts. You just, a lot of them, especially, if, if, hopefully they all get out there on the floor and they train. But the ones that can't train or for one reason or another, maybe they have uh, disabilities or whatever. Um, we've just seen huge bonding, not just between the parents, but between the students as well. 
huge bonding between the students. When you, like, like I said earlier, when you train together, there's this special bonding of sweating together and not understanding stuff and then finally getting it. And like the high fives you get. And the I look at back at some of my closest friends and it's through the martial arts and it's the experiences that we've had together, which is pretty cool. In terms of goal setting, I know that's a, a, a huge part of the black belt training. And now that you are in, I like how you put it, semi-retirement, how do you see yourself setting goals for yourself in the in the coming years? What kind of goals well, do you I have? Say that. I have this vision board. So we have all of our students every year, They we encourage them to do goal setting and we encourage them to have a vision board. So, you know, I wrote the book and the, the on leadership. I wrote this book on leadership and we use that as um, actually to get back to how we train our instructors, they've all been through that. And it makes it very easy for them to teach the life skills because it's all in the book. The book's right there. They've got exercises. They've got books to read and different, you know, different things to give them like a, an outline. And, but one of the, one of the first things we do is every January is we go over goal setting and we talk about smart goals. And then we do the vision board, which is our vision for our future. And for me, it was kind of hard the past couple of years with semi-retiring, losing my husband. So much has changed in my life that my goals are changing a little bit, but I still have a lot of the same ones. And so we asked them to like our students come up with a health goal and karate goal, financial goal, school or personal social goal. And they all pretty much do it. My goals have many of them have stayed the same. Like, so here's like eating six servings of fruits and vegetables, six glasses of water a day. You know, like, and this is my, this is my vision board and just, you know, eating healthy, drinking water, getting enough sleep, the basic, and then you go to the goals, making an individual and personal and social is, you know, like time with the grandkids, um, meditating time, uh, try a new sport is one of my goals. So just different karate is getting my sixth degree and doing six forms a day. And I have this whole set of, of things that I have to do. So. Well, speaking of vision, I wish you the best and I can't wait to see what's going to happen in Middleburg. Thank you so much again for taking the time to talk today. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Find podcasts and more at rippleeffectmartialarts.com.